Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Pastor Schulman made quite an impression on me. As a boy, watching him function in the front of the church as he was leading the worship service and preaching, Pastor, Sermon, Pastor Schumann would have a, a stern look on his face. Even a little boy could understand that proclaiming the eternal word of God is serious business. But then after the service, greeting him, shaking his hand, there was this kindness this warmth to him, which was, for a little guy, kind of a relief. My favorite memory of Pastor Schumann is how he took me and about 20 other 12 to 14-year-olds through Luther's catechism. He was always very careful and clear as he explained God's truth to us. Excuse me. He'd, He'd answer every question very very clearly, and once in a while, and it was just once in a while, we'd see this smile on his face. Dear Pastor Schumann, what a gift to the church. But Pastor Schumann wasn't the only pastor I had over the years recently. I I tried to count them up, and I came up with at least half a dozen others. How about you? Could you make a list of your pastors that you've had over the years? Remembering not only their names, but their their personality, the the gifts they had, the the things you especially liked about certain ones, and the things that maybe you didn't like so much about others. The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, writes that pastors are, are gifts from Christ to his church. We thank the Savior for giving them. Yet here in the epistle that we're reading today, the Apostle Peter points out that we need to have very high expectations of our pastors because the Lord does. In fact, he makes it quite clear why we need to have very high expectations of our pastors. They are serving the the chief shepherd, the shepherd who is above, as they take care of God's flock. This letter that we know as 1 Peter, at the start of it you read that it's, it's addressed to God's chosen one in the Roman provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's a wide readership, the, the scattered church. But very quickly, the apostle is pointing out how much, how richly the Lord has blessed them. How how richly he's blessed us. How we've been set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. Given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He writes how we've been promised an inheritance that's actually kept safely in heaven for us. Uh, We've been blessed with faith in Christ that will actually be tested, sometimes severely, and how the testing of our faith serves the purpose of proving its genuine nature, which is 
<clears throat> actually very important to God. <clears throat> and then in his letter, the apostle has this beautiful statement. He writes how you, you who read this letter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, God's special possession that, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I mention all that because when you get to the passage from the letter that we're reading this morning, you have to understand that this is a message, a passage, not just for the elders and pastors of the church. Just as today it's not just for pastors to discuss at their, discuss at their pastor circuit meetings and, and, and at their conferences. The whole church needs to read this. Like the whole church reads the whole letter. And the whole church needs to take it to heart and put it into practice. So if you will, find your Bible that I pray is close by. I'm going to give you a moment to do that, or even better, just pause the recording for a moment. Find your Bible and follow along. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll repeat that again in case you did pause it. 1 Peter chapter 5, the beginning of the passage, uh, the beginning of the chapter. Peter speaks directly to the elders among you. At the church I serve, Living Savior, we have individuals who have been chosen as elders of the congregation. According to our constitution, the elders are concerned with the spiritual growth of, of all the members of the congregation. They're to oversee the preaching and the teaching of the word. They're especially to oversee those individuals who are, who are troubled or who are straying from the gospel. But the men Peter especially has in mind are those that even today we would call shepherds or different words, same meaning, pastors. Peter identifies himself in the passage, you're seeing it, as someone who knows elder work, pastor work by experience. Refers to himself as a, as a fellow elder, fellow pastor of those that he's writing to. That gives him some experience from which he writes. And what gives him authority is that Peter points out that he himself was an eyewitness to the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ. In other words, he observed how the chief shepherd, Jesus, so loved his church that he gave up his life for her on the cross and, on the, and then on the third day picked up his life again. And what does he say to his fellow pastors that all of us need to hear? He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is in your care. So no pastor should ever say, this is my ministry, and I'm in charge, and I'll, see, I'll, I'll, I'll lead this group as I see fit. Should never do that. 
No pastor should ever think this is my church and, and I make the decisions here. And everything should proceed from, from my vision and my plan and my philosophy. Can't do that. And no pastor should ever entertain the notion that this is my flock and everything that happens to my flock must depend on, on my, my, my wisdom and my, my talent, my skill, and, 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 and all the work that I do. No, it's, it's God's flock. And it's under the care of a pastor who doesn't see himself as a, as a, as a self-appointed visionary. He sees himself as someone who serves under the authority of the chief shepherd and is accountable to him. He does his work as someone who is called by the chief shepherd to serve God's flock. That's followed, as you're seeing, by several directives of, of do it this way, or of don't do it this way, but do it this way instead. Take care of God's flock, not because somebody has to or somebody forced you. But take care of God's flock because because that's what you're willing to do. And, and take care of God's flock, not because people are going to are going to make you rich in the process, not because you're, you're greedy for earthly gain. No, take care of God's flock because you're, you're eager to serve God's people. And take care of God's flock, not by bullying or browbeating or, or, or intimidating, rather pastors be examples to the flock of what the humility and gentleness and patience and love of Jesus looks like your sheep in the flock encourage that in your pastors pray for that better expect that demand that and use your gifts and abilities to make sure that, that pastors are held to that standard, not only at, at, at this living Savior church that I serve, but, but wherever the scattered believers are gathered. As the wider church, we're part of a synod, a, a church body that has an eight-year program for training our pastors. We provide support for that program with our prayers and with a good portion of our offerings and with those who represent us on governing boards and school faculties. The first four years of our pastor training program occur at Martin Luther College of Minnesota. In several ways, MLC is typical of many colleges while some are older and more seasoned, most of the students enroll as 18-year-olds and graduate as 22-year-olds. There's an ambitious athletic program, a respected music program, student clubs and organizations, a, a vibrant social life. There are classes to attend and, and credits to earn, typical of other colleges, except at Martin Luther College, Every single student, every one of them is preparing for Christian ministry. Some want to lead a church's preschool program like, like 
like my church living savior has. Some will teach in a Lutheran elementary school, a Lutheran middle school, high school, college. But about one third of the students attending Martin Luther College are preparing for the following four years at our seminary. So on the college level, they're, they're learning Hebrew for reading the Old Testament and, and Greek for reading the New Testament in, in, in all of its color. They're studying not just history in general, but the, the checkered history of the church. They're learning how to communicate clearly. And they're learning about pastoral ministry from the instruction and example of, of, of about 19 experienced pastors who serve as professors on the faculty. Graduates of Martin Luther College are then accepted at our seminary, which is kind of hard to describe as a typical school. Yeah, it, it, there, there are classes to attend and credits to earn, and, and there, there are organizations and, and uh, I suppose, a vibrant social life. But at the seminary, there are practical courses about how to write and preach a sermon and about how to prepare for and design and lead a Bible study. Uh, there are courses for counseling God's people and, and when to determine how to refer God's people to other counselors. There are courses devoted to understanding and, and planning and leading worship and, and courses devoted to administering, leading God's people as they gather. A number of you have become familiar with the interns, the vicars who serve at Living Savior. These are students whose third year of seminary instruction takes place at congregations like ours. And you know what's emphasized and what's emphasized and and expected through all four years of pre-seminary instruction and all four years of seminary instruction? Christian character, Christian work ethic, Christ-like humility, gentleness, patience, love for people. And oh yeah, one more very important component When Jesus sent out the 72 to serve as missionaries and pastors who would gather people in the, in the towns and homes where he was about to go, he gave them a message to share. Proclaim God's peace. Proclaim that God's kingdom of grace is not some distant abstract thing, but it's, it's near you in the in, especially in the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. He told them to proclaim the message that he had taught them, whether people would listen to them or him or reject them or him. When the Lord earlier trained up a prophet and pastor named Ezekiel, he gave him also a message to proclaim. There's that, that unusual vision of a scroll on which were written the very words of God. Eat this scroll I'm giving you, the Lord told him. 
So I ate it, Ezekiel tells it, tells us, and it tasted as sweet as honey to my mouth. But the, then the Lord sent him to bring that word to his own people who were hardened against that. And he told Ezekiel, you, you, you can't bend to what they want to hear. You, you can't give in simply to what they would prefer to do. He told them instead, I'll, I'll make your, your, your thinking like, like the hardest stone so that you can say, whether they listen or not, you can say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. We train our pastors for that. Thoroughly. The pre-seminary training at Martin Luther College includes chapel worship that centers on the word several times a week. The training includes courses devoted to intensive study of, of Christian teaching as it's drawn entirely from Holy Scripture. There's a required course devoted to reading the gospel according to St. John in the original, and, and reading the book of Acts, and reading 1 Corinthians in the original. And then as seminary students, once they get to that level, those four years, they, they, they read the entire New Testament, almost all of it in the original Greek, and they read the Old Testament, some in Hebrew, some in, some in English. There's an entire course devoted to the the book of Genesis, there's an entire semester course devoted to the letter to the Galatians and, and another course, semester four months, devoted to the letters to Timothy and Titus and another semester, another four months devoted to the epistle to the Ephesians and another course, another four months devoted to the letter to the Romans. Our seminary students, students learn how to, to study the scriptures carefully so that as pastors, they can confidently say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Whether people listen or not, they'll serve God's flock. They'll even evangelize those who are not a part of the flock yet. They'll admonish and they'll correct God's people and others in keeping with the word of God without giving in because they, pastors, have become so convinced and well-trained in the truth of God's word. The Apostle Paul announced, we included this in our prayer, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, New Testament writers, and the prophets, Old Testament writers, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You and I, we rest our faith and our hopes on the foundation of Christ's word. And we are corrected and, and admonished and, and, and guided on the foundation of Christ's word. Some won't listen to it. Some won't take it to heart. But Jesus also said, blessed are those, blessed are those who hear the word of God and, and obey it, keep it. Earlier in his first epistle, the Apostle Peter acknowledged that human ideas come and go. 
Human philosophies, human views, human values come and go. Just like human beings will, will eventually all fall like the flowers of the field. But, he writes, the word of the Lord endures forever. The word endures forever to bring God's peace to those who are troubled and to bring his kingdom of grace to those who are by nature sinful. The word endures forever to, to feed God's flock with the message of salvation and the assurance of eternal life in heaven. The word endures forever to shepherd God's flock so that along with their faithful shepherds, at the end of their, their earthly race, all God's people will receive the glorious victory crown of eternal life. I hope someday you'll get a chance to head up north and visit our college of ministry or our seminary. Beautiful campuses, well, well supported and provided for by God's people. When you're at each location, you'll be sure to visit the chapel, which is the heart and soul of, of, of what occurs at those ministerial training schools. At our seminary, the beautiful chapel is, is decorated with symbols that represent the ministry that a pastor conducts, including the window, front and center, right behind the altar. It, it, it's a clear window. You can look through the window and see the trees and the, and, the, and the hill that are behind the chapel. And etched into the glass of the window, a figure of, of a shepherd who's holding a, a staff, a shepherd's crook. In, in that chapel, the shepherd represents all those who will go forth from that training place in the word of God and, and serve God's people as shepherds themselves, as pastors. And the shepherd's crook, the, the staff, the tool that they're given to, to guide and correct and urge on, well, that, of course, is the word of truth, the word of life, the word of Christ. Dear sheep in the flock, pray that your church and many others will be served by well-equipped with the word pastors. Insist that the church will have them. Help us with recruiting more of them. Help us with training them very, very well. Not only in Christian character and Christian example, as important as those are, but also in the word. Help the church and its pastors so that God's people can be served for generations to come. Not, not to the glory of the church and, and certainly not to the glory of pastors, but to the glory of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, our Savior. 